Welcome to Telegeography Explains the Internet, the show that explores the business behind all of the ways humans stay connected around the world. I'm your host, Greg Bryant, and my guest today is Rohan Singh, who is the Associate Vice President of Client Services at Mar Labs. You'll hear about uh, what he does over there at Mar Labs, but a lot of what we're going to talk about is related to that, related to digital transformation and uh, helping enterprises understand digital transformation, uh, how they should utilize it tied to business practices and specific problems and needs, and then how to execute that digital transformation. And we go into kind of all of the elements of, of what that might include. We talk about what teams you should involve and how to get them together and understand uh, the end goal, how to explain these sorts of things to the C-suite and what kind of questions they may have back and forth uh, with the various teams involved. Rohan himself has a background in networking, so he's mostly focused on the infrastructure side, which is, of course, how he made it onto Telegeography Explains the Internet. Um, but we have a really great conversation um, looking at what it means to go through this process, solve these problems, select vendors, uh, and, and really understand um, how going through that process of digital transformation can potentially improve your business and, and solve specific problems that you're having now. Uh, then at the end, we get into some of the future of networking. And Rohan is particularly interested in making sure that young people who are in the uh, computer science or software development uh, world are aware of networking and maybe can join on to uh, some of the really cool stuff that, that is emerging out of, of the networking field. So without further ado, here's my interview with Rohan. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Rohan. Pleasure. Nice to, nice to be on. Yeah, excellent. So why don't you give us a, a brief background on yourself uh, and then what you do at Mar Labs? Uh, I'm sure that a lot of listeners probably aren't familiar with Mar Labs, so probably a little background there as well. Yeah, sure. I'll start with Mar Labs. So we're a digital transformation company, uh, which should make everyone know immediately what we do. Uh, <laughs> we, focus, we focus a lot on, on uh, customizing solutions for, for our clients, uh, whether that be through uh, things such as Salesforce and CRMs, um, being able to take uh, records and um, important uh, uh, business processes and be able to develop the right solution for each and every company. Uh, I focus mostly on the infrastructure side of the house, um, going from an evaluative standpoint all the way through to implementation and finding the right technologies, the right strategies and advising people and our clients on how to actually realize this project as possible and realize what they're trying to do is is, uh, is feasible because a lot of these projects such as cloud transformation sound daunting and very ambiguous. We try and right. tie it down to something specific and put a plan around it and go execute. Excellent. And, and a little background on yourself as well. How did you uh, end up at Mar Labs? Yeah. So um, uh, I joke with everyone, everyone that knows me well is going to groan at this, but I, I saw my first network diagram when I was 12 years old. So I feel like I've been doing networking my entire life. I mean, I that's really cool. That's yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh, my dad drew it on a piece of paper and I said, I'm, I'm never doing this. And then <laughs> somehow one way or another, I ended up at Cisco as my first job out of college, uh, went through the sales training program on the engineering side and fell in love with everything. It seemed so logical, seemed so simple. And then mm -hmm. you really dive into the technologies and see how complicated and, and fascinating it is. 
uh, went to a startup from there, ran communication, security, and technology here in Austin for hypergrowth startup, and went into the consulting space, uh, following my dad's footsteps, and eventually met Marlabs in that in that field, and it it made sense to get together and actually go full bore and join join them and be able to bring my skill set and their uh, resources together to be able to take advantage of both sides of the house. Right. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I don't talk to too many second generation network engineers, so I actually think that's really cool. So, yeah. 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 I think it's, uh, it, it used to be an olden thing where you'd kind of do what your parents used to do and follow in their mm-hmm. footsteps. So maybe, maybe that'll, it'll be a new trend that we start back up. Yeah. See, my, my dad was an architect and he always told me you can be anything you want to be except for an architect or a lawyer. So. <laughs> uh, all right. So, you know, you mentioned that what you do is is you help clients move through a digital transformation. Actually, we like really want to start out at, at the ground floor here. It, it is telegeography explains the Internet. Um, and, and you also on that note mentioned that your particular focus is the infrastructure side, which is why you're on this show and, and not not some other potential ones. Right. But could you just define for us digital transformation, how you guys see it, how you approach it, because it is. It is a very capacious kind of term, uh, you know, in, in terms of, of what people exactly mean when they throw it around. If someone comes to you looking to do a digital transformation, especially in light of, of the sort of infrastructure changes, how would you explain that maybe to someone on their team that, that wasn't quite sure? Yeah, I, I, I think there's it, it's different for every single company and it's, it's different. I don't want to give a consulting answer, but it's, it's going to have to be. It's, it always it's, depends. Yeah. yeah, it always depends. Yeah. Um, I think that the best way to to look at it is uh, what, what we find is either we approach a client or a client approaches us knowing that there's a problem or we see a problem evolving in an existing mm-hmm. client. And the solution to that is something different from what's been happening before. So uh, to give give examples, uh, we look at data center or call center transformations and, and we throw the word digital around it because there's a lot of digital assets that come into play. So tying whether it's a Salesforce CRM to be able to go to a, a screen pop for an agent or be able to take advantage of a hybrid cloud infrastructure. And the the big thing is, is always realizing what is the end goal in mind and what are we trying to solve? So that transformation really is, it's, it's kind of what we do as, as did as kids as, with a puzzle, right? We saw the pieces, we, we think we can put it together the right way and figuring out what goes well together and what doesn't. And that's, mm-hmm. that's how we guide people through this process. It's not always the same and it does depend, but the technologies uh, and the strategies deployed overarchingly are, are the same, right? It's cost savings, mm-hmm. optimization of spend, optimization of resources. How do we get all that together and pair it to the right technology so that it's, it is actually a meaningful change and not just we're doing cloud because everybody else is doing right. cloud. There has to be something exactly tied to it as a business outcome. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. So, so you're justifying it from a particular business outcome or, or business process rather than sort of getting a technology for technology's sake, matching technology to to a desired outcome. Yeah, it's it's really rare that something like a cloud transformation is is a direct solution to anything. It's more or less there's something of a feature or something that you're you're mm-hmm. gaining as a function out of that transformation that that's really driving the business forward or the technology that you're providing forward for somebody else. Right. Uh, uh, we always try and avoid uh, advising clients and we actually avoid uh, we advise them against 
making a transformation for transformation's sake. There has to be mm-hmm. something specific to get out of it. Um, it and we do ca- get caught up, especially in the networking w- world with a lot of buzzwords. There's sassy, yeah. there's optimization, there's transformation. So actually digging through and finding what that is for every company is half the battle. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, the, and while, the, while the products can differ, of course, th- there's another sort of capacious term that, that almost always comes into play, right? Which is, which is cloud. That's a, ultimately, this is about moving resources uh, necessarily off of maybe corporate premises and into some shared infrastructure or something like that. Uh, it, it, would that almost always be true, right? Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think there's if we if we go back a few years, there was a huge run. Everything's going cloud. Amazon's awesome. You know, let's let's get as many things in there as possible. And then somebody saw the bill and was like, oh wow, <laughs> this is yeah. expensive. So you know, it's it's been interesting to see that everyone went diving headfirst into cloud and said, let's go put everything there. And then cost and, and other things started bearing into that decision and said, all right. Latency probably in some cases. Yeah, latency. And it depends on the application that you're deploying and, and where you're also trying to put these technologies, right? You have to now go uh, across partitions in Amazon to make sure that it's redundant to the nth degree and whatever degree you're comfortable with and securing things and less control when you put something into the cloud as when you have on-premise. I think people started saying, all right, we might have shifted too hard one direction. Mm-hmm. Let's find a good and in between. And I think that's what we're at, I think, uh, a more realistic level of everyone's in some hybrid cloud approach. Yeah, there's smaller companies or particular companies in healthcare that can consume a lot of cloud services or platforms in the cloud, and they can get 99% of the way there. But I think large enterprises are finding that one foot on premise and one one foot in the cloud is the the happy Goldilocks there. Mm -hmm. So that might be something you would help them sort out is what what should we lift and shift and, and what should we keep control of on prem and stuff like that. Exactly. And and it's a, it's an important decision, right? Uh, it's it's so nice to have cloud and be able to expand and deploy something and spin something up with a couple of clicks and you have you know something that would take months to deploy on premise done in, in, in a matter of minutes. But it's also the realization of how much control do you lose, how much visibility do you do you lose? And then how do you go about fighting that battle back to find that visibility? Do we need more tools? Do we need to bring developers? It's it's a it's a whole different arena. And yeah, like you said, advising clients on that realization of let's not just do it for the sake of doing it and let's make it effective where possible. So there are them there are some things that businesses do desperately need and they want the speed of the cloud to spin something up and, and it makes a lot of sense. So yeah, realizing that is 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 really, really important. But uh, every solution creates a, an, an additional problem, right? So, yeah, that's why consultants will never go out of business, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so, all right, so we, we, I think, understand clearly what we're talking about. Could you, again, knowing that this will depend a lot, but take us through yeah. kind of what are the key elements of a successful digital transformation? Yeah, uh, I think... The number one thing is always realizing what the problem is or that there is a problem, right? Uh, I think as consultants, sorry, as consultants, that's the hardest thing to, to get across 
is to define what is the problem statement and what are we trying to solve. Um, oftentimes, you know, we, we joke about the worst tickets in IT are my internet speed is slow or my internet is bad, <laughs> right? What, what does that right. even mean? There's 7,000 things and that relates to a lot of IT strategies. So to talk about something that's, that's really, you know, successful and how do we define that is starting with a very clear defined problem statement and what we're trying to solve. And then everything really lines up on its own. So uh, to give an example of things that, that we've been working on um, recently, a lot of cloud contacts under transformations. So the ability <clears throat> for, for our, our, our clients to understand what they're going to undertake with the cloud transformation is just as important as picking the platform and picking the solution. Mm -hmm. So the, the engagement we did recently uh, is to do a case study, global case study on is it one feasible to do cloud or is it better to do on-premise where each and every single uh, global region and each business unit seem to have such specific wants and needs that mm -hmm. doing something cloud might not make sense because it's like replicating the same contact center over 15, 16 different times, but having something highly customizable and specific. Cloud becomes a little bit easier if it's flipped around, right? If we can do cookie cutter 80, 90% of the way there, and customize small pieces, it becomes way more effective to deploy it. So we understood what the problem was. We analyzed what is that challenge, right? So we have the problem and there's a hurdle to get over. The hurdle was, is this really feasible? Is it make, does it make more sense to go cloud or is it better to be on premise and do highly customizable stuff? And we found that when you actually have these conversations, um, a lot of those hurdles are just barriers put up by a lack of cross communication or lack of real understanding what do business units want, especially when it's globally geo-dispersed. It's the telephone game, right? If it goes up the food chain high enough, eventually the message flips around so many times that you're not exactly sure if that's where we started with. So breaking down those communication boundaries and breaking down those hurdles and barriers and then putting an actual plan forward, right? It's 80% of the way there to identify the problem and identify the challenges, but now we have to navigate around that world. Right. And that's, I think, where we differentiate ourselves from a lot of other consulting organizations is we don't just say, go to this platform. We don't say, just put this technology in place. We actually say, okay, we've gotten there. We've selected these things. Let's actually put a plan around how do we deploy it? What needs to be in place? Do you need our help? Do you need other, uh, you know, consultant uh, consulting help? We don't do everything under the sun. We realize what our strengths and weaknesses are. How do we actually make this into a program so that when you know our clients obviously have to go present this back internally, we arm them with that knowledge that it's not just we picked X platform. It's going to take us this long and this much money. There's actually a phased approach and a plan on how to implement that that across uh, across that corporation. Yeah, no, I think that that's a really great point because certainly if if you are coming just from, say, the IT infrastructure team or, or more generally the IT team at, say, a large multinational, and you know that there are certain tools out there that may help you solve a problem, it, of course, if you go directly to those vendors, they're just going to try to sell you a product. But, you know, I, th I think having a holistic vision, uh, no doubt, um, uh, of of you know, not just what products should I be using, but how does that actually solve my problem and, and who needs to be involved and, and how does that affect maybe other products that I have? I think that having that ability to sort of pull back, I think is really key. And, you know, I, I talk to a lot of IT infrastructure teams and whatnot, and I'll talk to companies that have 
roughly the same size in terms of you know uh, number of sites and and uh, you know revenue and all that kind of thing. And one of them will have four hundred engineers on on their staff, and one of them will have like twenty five. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So there, there's there it runs the gamut of like how companies have invested in that particular part of their business. Obviously, it depends on your industry and whatnot. But that I, I can definitely see. Um, I mean. Obviously, I'm an I'm an analyst, and and we do consulting, so it's, uh, you know, I come from that side of the world, but I can definitely see how orchestrating all of this, not in the IT sense necessarily, but in the, the the general business sense, is is really crucial for making it successful. Yeah, and and I think the important thing there is is making sure that it's no longer. I think, I would say maybe if you go 20 years back or so, an ecosystem or or a real step back view of how to implement these technologies wasn't so important. Um, one, there were less vendors in the marketplace. So it was a little bit easier just to be like, all right, for network, I'm going to do Cisco. They're, they're, right. Getting MPLS, it's just, you know, MPLS. Yeah, right, so. yeah, exactly. There weren't a lot of options. There weren't there. Um, and we're almost spoiled for choice now. But what, what becomes more important is because we have so many choices, having one single vendor is very rare that provides all the services and there's very few of them that still do it right cisco is probably one of the smaller uh, one of the few that that still make that list to do 99 percent of things that's in the infrastructure space but now we need to look at okay crm is tied into call center call centers tied into network networks tied into security and it's all it's very hard to have a conversation with any client that says I need to do X project with X technology and not look at everything across the board and see how it fits in. Mm-hmm. So it becomes really, really important to to fine tune that way of, uh, of, I guess, doing those consulting engagements to stop looking at you have a call center platform issue, you have a data center platform issue, let's solve that. It's, it's very rare that that's always the only thing. Or if it's a transformation, you have to incorporate that to everything else around it that it's going to touch to. So... It's mm-hmm. a, I think the, we're finally seeing that the, com, uh, the corporations are, that we're, uh, and our clients are getting to that phase two and getting to that point where they understand that we need to break down these barriers and stop looking at everything as a single problem, a network problem or a security problem. It's, it's really an ecosystem. Now, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll be curious to the extent to which you can really sort of dig into the answer to this question um, and not to to come at you from left field or anything, but if, if uh, an enterprise was approaching like sort of a, a more like a, a carrier kind of MSP, right? So mm-hmm. that has specific channel partners, even just a pure play MSP might have specific channel partners. Are you able to sort of put together the partner ecosystem without channel partners are in place or, or, or do you have sort of vendors that are your go-to for this particular thing? Um, uh, or or how, how do you work that out with a, with a client? Yeah, I think I think there are definitely market leaders and in, in those that, that you always bring to the table or you see a particular problem that, that those market leaders are known to be very good at solving. Right? Sure. So give, give an example that on on the carrier side for for something like broadband circuits and DIA, uh, there, there are preferences that we have. Right. Uh, granted, mm-hmm. telecommunications is one of the, uh, the companies we partner with on a lot of these because they, they do provide uh, great pricing and, and speed and efficiency of deployment. But it's very rare that we 
have a conversation with a client say, this is the only partner we're going to evaluate with. And this is the only one. It's the same thing with contact center platforms. We really like Genesis as a solution. We really like what Amazon is doing and eventually going to be able to grow towards. So we, we do bring them to the table as, as things to immediately start considering and start that conversation. But we like to say as vendor and partner agnostic as possible, when we do something that's a engagement from what do I do and how do I implement it? We'll bring the the partners we prefer and we've done work with and that do good work, but we'll also bring the rest of the market that might fit. Um, actually going through some of those proposals right now in, in like the SD-WAN space and, and the network space, you know who's you know at the top of Gartner's Magic Quadrant every year. You sure. know who's the top of your mind in the last few deployments you've done and where the where the market is shifting towards and who they're using. But it's very important to be able to say every company is different, right? It's sure. every company will have a, something that might fit better. The GUI interface looks better for the engineers. This relationship is better in, in these particular regions for providing the carrier space. So it's it's really important to have a good list of vendors that you can bring to the table if there is a moment's notice that you can have that good relationship with. But if it's long-term and strategic partnerships, always, always try and take a step back and be as neutral as possible. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was getting at. Uh, it is, you know, looking at it from the perspective of, again, talking to a lot of IT infrastructure managers and whatnot, um, you know, some of them might go to a, a carrier or an MSP or whatever because of the specific channel partners they have. Yeah. And, you know, certainly, again, the, the, the geographic scope, the industry that you're in has a big impact on that. If, if, if you have a global network, it's a lot easier to go with, you were saying, mentioning SD-WAN, it's a lot easier to go with Viptela versus, you know, uh, Silver Peak, that kind of, or HP. Uh, that that kind of thing, but if if you have a very different network, maybe you know uh, U.S. domestic only or something like that, there's a lot of alternatives that um, that you would be missing out on if if you you yep. just went back to that uh, you know sort of like locked in channel partner kind of relationship. Yeah, and it's always good to have that competition too. It's it's mm-hmm. good to you know if, I think from from a consulting standpoint to bring multiple vendors to the table because whether it's pricing or whether it's just the pressure of knowing somebody else is in the room and it's not a cakewalk, it, it helps right. drive that. And I mean, yeah. we have it in our, in our space all the time. It's mm-hmm. very rare that it's just one consulting that's brought in to take a look at the problem and analyze it. It's almost always, mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to go through the gamut. We're going to ask a lot of questions and that's, we like to operate in that space because we think we're different and we provide a, right. a different value than, walking in and telling you the time from your own watch, right? We, we all <laughs> joke about, about how some of the larger companies do that. And that's why we like to be a little bit small and nimble and help grow the relationship that way, where everything doesn't fit for us, everything doesn't fit for you, but let's find mm-hmm. the right solution. And that works in pretty much anything that you're going to do in the IT spaces. Yeah, there's preferred people, yeah, there's market leaders and industry leaders, but let's bring everyone that makes sense to the table. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I can tell you from my perspective, so we, we benchmark networks like, you know, WANs for, for large multinationals. And, and, you know, the minute they need, all, all we do is provide the data the minute they need, like, help with a negotiation or technology strategy or something. We're always happy to bring in, you know, another firm that, that focuses on that kind of thing. And, and we've learned which ones we think were successful and, and, and you know, whatnot. So I think it's, it's helpful to have 
uh, a, a broad reach of, of different, you know, services and vendors and everything that, that you can really help your clients out with, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So I want to ask you, um, uh, Rohan, do you deal a lot more sort of directly with, say, the IT infrastructure team or the, the cloud uh, team, uh, that sort of thing? Um, and if so, do you have to help them then get to the CIO level or do you deal with the CIOs uh, directly yourself? Yeah. Uh, answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, all right, so, yeah. So, the, so then the, then the follow on to that is that, you know, I, I want to get into the sort of struggles because I, I end up mostly talking to the folks that are say, you know, the, the, unfortunately this title is, is very rarely out there, but you know, the, the WAN manager, right? The IT infrastructure mm-hmm. head. Um, do you see troubles that, that, that I see in terms of them communicating with this, the CIO? Sometimes CIOs are very uh, focused on network network sometimes they don't know very much about the network at all uh is that a struggle to sort of um describe the the network piece the infrastructure piece uh um, not just network but you know sort of uh, cloud and whatnot to certain cios who maybe have heard about new technologies or 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 don't um you know they're managing huge teams with a whole bunch of different responsibilities um how do you work on sort of translating all of this into cio speak if you will yeah um I think I think there's there's really two perspectives if you look at it from the CIO or, or the you know management director line. The first part is the game of telephone of trying to communicate is always difficult uh, mm. for for somebody inside a company. Depending on how many steps removed they are, you create a presentation or a proposal. It's got to go up a few steps, and it always gets translated over and over, and everyone puts their own spin on it. And by the time <laughs> it gets up there, it might be something different than what you had entailed. And then the other side is looking from the CIO level down, having the expectation that your team can run the infrastructure, manage it, take care of day-to-day problems or any changes that are going on internally while still looking at the marketplace and trying to understand what's new, what's feasible, what strategies are, it becomes difficult. And I think uh, putting both those sides together, that's where we do a good job of being able to translate both directions, right? From the CIO's messaging, hey, the, the market is going this way. Why aren't we talking about this? And being able to talk to the you know, frontline managers and engineers and say, does this even fit? Does it make sense? And let let us have that conversation with the CIO and say, yeah, the market's going this way and we've done these implementations, but this does or this doesn't make sense for you and your company. And then the other way around, we, we have a lot of tie-ins with, with the you know senior director and vice president level. And it's the same thing as the messaging doesn't come across the same way when it's internal. Sometimes, you know, I won't say in all cases, but sometimes it might sound as an excuse. Well, we can't do this because we don't have that access or right? we don't sure. have information to this. And oftentimes it's better to have that outside consultant come in and be able to advocate for the group to say, yeah, at the rest of the companies at your level and your competitors, everyone has access to this data or this mm-hmm. information or this technology. We need to provide it to your team so that they can they can make whatever change you're asking for, whatever strategy needs to be deployed. So it's really important to find that balance of translating the thoughts between both of those leaders, right? That's whether it's the direct managers or the CIOs to be able to set realistic expectations and outcomes. And that's where, as I always say, the problem statement is almost the most important part of it. Is it truly a problem? Is there something else that's causing it? And um, being able to have those skip level conversations or 
strategic conversations with everyone at the table, having a fair, fair voice is, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I had on a guest who, who wrote a book about Sassy and literally in the book, he, he had different definitions and ways of talking about Sassy, depending on whether you were talking to the security team, the IT infrastructure team or the C-level kind of folks, right? Because, yeah. the, the, you know, in, in, in not not in a snarky kind of way, but in the way that they, they all have different concerns and different understandings of what's going on. And, and it's important to be able to translate across all those groups, you know? So Yeah. yeah and the CIOs often are tied to something that's so drastically different than what, you know, directors and managers have to be gold at and strategically. Mm-hmm. CIOs sometimes are gold on how much cost savings can you bring this year, right? right. Or how, how efficient can this platform that we have be and make sure that it stands up for as, uh, you know, as many hours and minutes in the entire year. And that might be different when you go uh, down or up the ladder. So mm-hmm. that's, that's also important to acknowledge is that teams are gold so differently and you know, we're incentivized right. to do different things. So tying that together and making sure everyone's on the same page, is just, that's very important. Yeah. Well, and, and to what you alluded to before too, that the, the complexity of all of this is so different than it used to be. I, I no. you think back a, a few years ago when maybe SD-WAN was pretty new, you know, there, there was this slam dunk CIO argument, right? Which is like, oh, we, you know, if we, we ditch MPLS and uh, we, we can cut our network costs in half and that, that is true, right? But then but then there's like a whole bunch of other things to consider. Like all of a sudden I have local breakouts. I need a whole new uh, security strategy. And uh, the security team, you know, wasn't even prepared for that necessarily. Right? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, oh, I also I've moved, you know, all these workloads into the cloud. And, and now we have not only new cloud bills, but we have to move workloads between clouds that we didn't have to worry about when we were yeah. on an MPLS network. And, you know, so I, I think um, the, the complexity of all of this really lends itself to to having someone who can pull back from all of that and, and be able to give you a, a bigger picture, you know? Yeah, um, there's never one one solution to any problem, <laughs> whatever it is in networking or life, it's, it's very rare. And that's that's very important is if you switch off from MPLS to, you know, DI circuits and broadband and SD-WAN, okay, there's new costs and new challenges and something completely different. So yeah, it's, it's important for, uh, I think that goes to the higher leadership levels too, is, oh, the market's doing this where we can deploy this technology tomorrow. Let's go do it. Okay. Is your team ready? Is your infrastructure ready? Is the support ready so that, that you can go make those changes? Let's not just jump in. Uh, and try and take advantage of cost savings where in the long run it might get more and more expensive. Yeah, and and you know, I think that that leads me into this which we've touched on a bit, but I wonder if you could focus on a little more of just getting harmonization across all of these different sort of stakeholders within it. Again, the C-suite has certain ideas, the security team, the cloud team, also, even just like the idea of like developers, like uh, you know, w- within the organization, if if we're changing our our infrastructure, that might impact what what DevOps does, even if they traditionally had nothing to do with networking, right? So, yeah, yeah, I, I think I'll break that into two parts. So first is just breaking down those barriers for those conversations is is so important. Um, going back to one of the things that that we. Um, that we just worked through in, in, in a case study for the Global Contact Center, it's that the assumption going in is that this is not possible because we think everyone is different, but no one actually had, you know, it's, it's difficult to go through team by team, region by region, 
and have the same conversation over and over again, and then <laughs> capture all that and, and bring it together. And I think that's the importance of in, in, I think in IT as a whole is one, bringing the business and IT operations closer together. But in order, I think, to even have that effective conversation, bringing the IT teams closer together also becomes important. So uh, you talked about SASE just before. I don't think anyone really still knows what SASE is, right? We can't put a, a, a we, we can we can explain the acronym and we can right. show diagrams and vendors can all say, say that this is part of the SASE solution and claim they're SASE ready. But the thing is, it, it's really, I think at the heart of it is, we can't have a network and a security strategy and a voice strategy and a mobile device management strategy and have these all be siloed. It's, right. it's more and more exactly. about let's break this all apart so that, you know, when, when there's a security change, the network team knows about it and is aware of how that affects them and vice versa and so on and so forth. And once you have, you know, your IT teams more closer together and unified and what, what's a strategy going across and how all of these things affect one another, then you can tie the the business side together with the ability for uh, IT teams to have that direct conversation. So I think it becomes really, really important to to have that um, that conversation together. But you have to be prepared for it. You can't you can't just jump in tomorrow and say, "All right, my network engineers and security engineers are all tied together. We're going to go have an important business conversation with how that." Okay. Um, and then on the de- the development and the DevOps side, you know. I, I always thought that, you know, we're always going to stick with waterfall methodologies and the traditional project timelines in, in networking because it just, it never seemed like there was a logical connection, but more and more I'm seeing a lot of DevOps bleeding into the infrastructure side mm-hmm. and having direct connections with what the development teams are doing if you have them. So much so to the point that networking and developers are going to get, have to get closer and closer together, whether you're creating custom applications or using APIs, those conversations are becoming one and the same. You can't really separate them apart. So, um, yeah, I think it's a it's an important conversation for every uh, corporation to start thinking is if we have a development practice, how do we tie that into the infrastructure and security stack as well? rather than looking at it as programming and networking. Right, right. Well, then there's a whole other issue too of like kind of network as code, right? <laughs> you know, so emerging yeah. as well. So on that, I, I, wanna, I wanna sort of close this out here with, with your take on just the future of networking because I, I, I love talking to folks like you that, that have a, a perspective from a lot of different companies, different industries that you see different things going on. Um, what, what are you seeing sort of uh, from from that perspective that is maybe lacking in the market now like what what skills do we need to focus on um, where where are companies maybe deficient in being able to find the talent that they need yeah I think one is people joining the market out of college is is a uh, is I think a big gap and I think the other thing is because of that the other gap that's created is adopting new new technology so I'll, I'll go into both um, I think without the pipeline of, you know, if we look at how network engineers join a company like Cisco, I'll give the example of my uh, of my direct experience. Every single one in my, uh, of the engineers in my cohort, we all 
touched and dabbled a little bit with networking, but none of us were network engineering degrees, right? We're computer mm -hmm. scientists, we're mm -hmm. computer engineering. We, we kind of fiddled with it in, in one way, shape or form in classes, but there's never a focus on, on just network engineering. So I wonder if there's definitely something on the college level that we could start focusing on and, and create more of a demand there. Cause I see either people going straight in out of, out of high school into kind of a trade place where they could start right. local IP shops and things like that. And, and I think there's great development you can get out there, uh, out of that, but there's nothing in higher education that I've seen that really points towards the future of network engineering. And mm -hmm. the, the push and the demand is, is there, right? There's so many software engineers that are out there and we're catching up on pay structures and the demand that's needed. There's thousands of jobs in network engineering that go unfilled every year. So yeah. having those two kind of tied together more in the school level, I think would be really important and move away from, you know, I, I took machine assembly programming in college, which I think there's like six jobs in the entire world for right. probably still. So, you know, seeing some of those courses shipped out, and move towards that to create the pipeline of new, you know, new network engineers and new security engineers. And I think the other side of it then goes into because there's been a limited supply. What we've really seen is uh, when I go to a lot of clients, I, you know, I'm, I, I see a lot of senior people that have been doing this for 30, 40 years, and mm -hmm. they're really sharp, really, really dedicated to their craft of network security engineering, but. I, I've also had that same conversation where, you know, a particular solution like Meraki with a, a GUI that doesn't have CLI, like I, I won't use it. I need CLI. And it's, you know, it, it's the, the conversation and it's, it's a generational shift where people in my generation are so much more used to GUI interfaces and moving away from that. Um, and I think uh, things like chat GPT that's come out, I don't know how much of that's going to be automated or you could just type in and say, plug in this port and turn on a VLAN. So I think the adoption of these newer technologies has been a little bit more delayed because of, uh, I won't say that people are scared, but they're just not used to it. You know, if you mm -hmm. do something for 30 years, right. why would you want to move on to something new that, that you have to go relearn and you have to learn programming now? So I think tying both those things together is current engineers need to become more comfortable with newer technologies. We also need to build a new pipeline of uh, fresh engineers out of college to, to fill the needs of, of the market. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. It um, it seems to me there's there's a kind of natural convergence in that sense that, you know, if you're talking about the sort of the old school of engineering, it was like it was like you know sort of an electrical engineering kind of degree. It's like a physical thing. It's like this yeah. physical realm that you're working with your hands in a way. Whereas, like I said, you know, net networking is now becoming much more software oriented or whatever. And, and certainly it seems like you're saying we train lots of software engineers, but they don't necessarily understand how networks work. And no. what, what's the solution there? Should, should people like you become professors, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 maybe, maybe one of these days. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, no, but I, I, I really do think uh, it, it goes down to the at, at whether it's a university, high school level, you know, whichever way it is, I don't think there's enough of a focus on something of a technology as specific as networking. And even, even, you know, with the emergence of coding and all that uh, into the networking space, 
I still don't see a lot of software engineers that even take classes to understand it, right? right? I, when I was programming, all that I needed to do was be able to remember what port 80 was and make sure that it was that it was a, uh, able to connect to my computer so that I could I could run some some scripts against uh, whatever API calls that I have. And I think it's it's both things. Creating that field and that degree on its own is important, but right. also uh, being well-rounded individuals. I think when we leave leave college, we leave that behind a little bit. We become so hyper-focused on being the best at whatever our job is and and being trained in that, getting exposure to other things is important. So uh, being able to lift your head on whatever your project is, whatever your day-to-day job is, trying to learn whatever auxiliary uh, things are around you in the technology space becomes important. We, we get, uh, you know, we fortunately or unfortunately have to be that way as consultants. We have to keep ourselves aware of the marketplace and what's going on. But right. when you when you join you know a corporation and you're expected to do a particular task and keep something running or code something in particular, it's hard to it's easy to lose sight. Yeah, it's easy to lose sight of whatever else is in continuous education. So, yeah, I don't think as I said, I don't think there's one solution. I think there's many different ways of tackling it. Well, I can tell you as as uh, the dad of some middle schoolers, um, it's we need a, a YouTube influencer, I guess, in the networking <laughs> space. <laughs> you know, I my my kids just had like their little honor roll assembly the other day, and and they asked uh, all the kids who made honor roll in, in middle school, um, uh, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? There's lots of you know pro athletes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and but there were there was a, a large amount um, of of you know programmers like say folks like oh I want to learn I want to do coding I want you know um, yep. so so you know I think I think just bringing in and and you know where do they get that obviously well I, I live in Northern Virginia so you know there's there's yeah. a lot of parents in that right but but uh, you know certainly there's there's a lot out there for kids if you go to Khan Academy or anything they have a whole little coding course like. Um, like just letting them know they, they, uh, of course, when they say, uh, software development, they really, they're thinking they want to design games. Right. But, yeah. you know, yeah. but, um, uh, you know, th- there's the network is really cool, obviously uh, that, yeah. that's, that's what we're doing here. Right. So, you know, maybe even some just like influencers on like, Hey, you know, frankly, we're trying to do a little bit of that. Like we, like our yeah. submarine cable maps, like get people excited to understand that there is a physical infrastructure spanning the globe here. And, uh, and that's what makes all of this work. Right. So we just, we just need to get more of that out there maybe. Um, so, you know, start a YouTube channel. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe I'll start with people understanding what the cloud is and then. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Right. <laughs> I have a, a coffee cup that says uh, there is no cloud, only other people's computers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, uh, which, which I say a lot, but that's 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 a, a great case in point of like just um, dispelling, uh, um, you know, not not myths per se, but just just complete missing uh, uh, understanding. You know what I mean? So yeah, no, I, I I joke about it with one of my really close friends. Uh, you know, my wife's an electrical engineer, and I you know. I take for granted every time I plug something into the wall, I have no idea what's going on. It's magic to me, right? (laughs) I know there's two or three prongs and I don't, I I know there's a current, what happens, but I think, you know, more and more of that is uh, whether it's a younger generation in YouTube or it's just being curious about these things. I think so Mm -hmm. many people take the internet for granted. And I, I think I did too, until I joined Cisco and I was like, wow, just to, go to Google and get a search result is such a, there's it's so a miracle. many, yeah, yeah it's so yeah. many steps in the middle. Yeah. I encourage everyone who's never done it, do a trace route to Google and you see how yeah. many steps there are and pull up those public IP addresses to understand how far a signal goes back and forth just to mm-hmm. 
whole simple information and we take that for granted like i do with electricity and i understand that maybe i need to find some electrical engineering uh influencers to deal with more but i think curiosity is is just as important in this field and just uncovering what those things actually mean yeah and what's what to me it ends up being so fascinating about it that's a, that's a good sort of a hook to get people interested is that it's an emergent order there, there, you know, in a way there, there's a disanalogy there with, with the electrical system because that's very vertically integrated and there's a quasi government, you know, the internet happens because of the actions of thousands of completely unrelated companies that, that are all just trying, you know, it's like, it's, it's a really fascinating uh, study in, in, in human activity truly. So I think, I think we can get the message out there. Yeah. Out yeah. And we've somehow all agreed to network standards and gotten together yeah. and agreed to how these things are going to work. It really is 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 surprising maybe maybe by the time the next generation gets in ipv6 will be relevant too (laughs) but i've I've been hearing ipv6 uh evangelists for the last like 10 years so (laughs) yeah i don't think it would be a networking podcast without one ipv6 (laughs) excellent all right well rohan this has been great fun uh very much appreciate your insights um if if folks want to find you keep up with what you're doing what's what's the best way maybe to do that yeah, you can you can find me on on LinkedIn because I've disavowed a lot of social media, but maybe I need yeah, to start. Yeah, I'm not on Twitter. I, I always <laughs> have to give that caveat, I, which was long before uh, the the whole recent uh, news. And I just I just never I just could never get into it. I don't know. Yeah. I, I understand it's useful, but yeah, yeah. Uh, LinkedIn is the best way, and uh, maybe on another podcast or two with you would be yeah, would be great. absolutely it's been great. Yeah, we should do it again for sure. All right, cheers. All right, thanks so much. Pleasure. Thanks for listening. Telegeography Explains the Internet comes from the experts here at Telegeography. It's edited and produced by Jane Miller, and it's hosted by me, Greg Bryan. And I also wrote that theme song you're listening to right now. To learn more about our data, jump over to telegeography.com, and we'll see you on the Internet.